The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of Element FM. You're in the Barber Shop with Bruce Barber and Andrew St. Germain, where we chop it up about entertainment, culture, and our own experiences in the city. Welcome to the Barber Shop with Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain, and Luca Capone. And we're here and we're going to talk about Christmas. Well, this will be the kind of final episode before the winter break. Mm-hmm. And it has been a fun uh, last couple months working on these pods. Absolutely. 2019. And I think that it's been fun because we've, you know, I've never done a podcast before. No. And, you know, it's been fun that we've just kind of been like, Working on it and learning the ins and outs and stuff like that, and getting to connect with really interesting musicians. Absolutely, that on the pod. Yeah, Shawnee, Once a Tree, Once a tree. GR Grit, David Moses. Yeah, yeah. we knew him before, <laughs> but he was, now we know him on a more personal level because he would noodle in during the pod, and you know, mm-hmm. there hasn't been one podcast where nobody's walked in yet. That's true. Let's see if Who we can make today? this podcast. <laughs> What's the bet? I'm going to bet that someone does walk in. Yeah, but we, we need to know who. Uh, I'm going to say JT. I'm, I'm going to take s- the easy money. Ooh, that's easy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I would guess too. Well, Whoa, what, it, okay, how about this? If JT walks in, mm-hmm. you guys have to do a shot of pickle juice. Wait, bread and butter pickles. Yeah, no, I'll the do pickles that and... we have upstairs. Oh, there's pickles upstairs? That oh. nobody ate at the Christmas party. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that it was I, that real. I ate two of the pickles this morning. Okay. Um, what kind of pickles are they? Delicious, nice, sour, garlicky pickles. No, that juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but now you have to come up with something for me if someone other than JT walks in. Oh, uh, well, he. I think he should put his money where his mouth is, and he should drink the pickle juice. I, okay, fine. It's very Christmassy. <laughs> there's some sort of Christmas tradition where, like, there's pickles everywhere around Christmas time. Yeah. There's it is pickle the season ornaments. of pickles. And I don't know, I think that there's maybe in Germany a tradition of hide the pickle. Mm. So we should do it? So we should be putting pickles all over each other? Yeah. Like just so I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's it's a Christmas thing. What are your traditions that you look forward to this Christmas? Oh, okay. So, yeah, we do definitely mess with pickles. <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, yeah, just, you know, we have a pretty nice stock standard Southern Italian Canadian Christmas. Seafood? Seafood on the Christmas Eve, yeah. Okay. And uh, though I, I'll probably be spending Christmas Eve with uh, Andrika's family, so it'll be a lot of fiery, super spicy Sri Lankan delights. And nice. they live in the Tragically Hip song, right? They live in, yeah, they do live, Bob. exist in the mental imaginary universe that is Bob Cajun. And then, yeah, the Fam Jam, my Fam Jam on the Christmas Day. What about you guys? Uh, I'm flying back to Thunder Bay on the Friday before Christmas, and I'm going to do my last minute shopping. And then we usually tend to have everything Christmas Eve. So that's when the family gathers, we do the presents, Secret Santa, all that stuff. Um, and then Christmas Day, we tend to gather as a family, like, but some people tend to miss it because they have other halves. Move it or lose it, Barbers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we basically do that. And then for some reason, we have a Boxing Day dinner. Never understood why, but we do. That's and nice. And yeah, and then uh, that's pretty much it up until, and my birthday is on the 30th. So I have like a whole... Right. Holidays and celebrations. Capricorn in the house. Yes. What about you, Shabadoo? Uh my I love Christmas Eve, I think, more than I love Christmas Day. I, I just love Christmas Eve. It's my favorite. I think Do I you agree find it with depressing you. after that though. After Christmas Day for uh, a little well, bit. Even Christmas Day because you're like, it's done. Yeah, Christmas or, morning. Well then then you look forward to the dinner. Yeah, but so, that seals the deal. You're done. Yeah, and you're over it. You just collapse into yeah. the couch in a turkey coma. Yeah, like, but Christmas Eve, scene. my mom like I used to think it was original, but apparently every family does this with the matching pajama set. So my mom will be like, "Here, open your Christmas Eve present." And it's <laughs> always pajamas. <laughs> I don't wear pajamas in front of my family. No, no. Uh, you, like if it's my extended family, I think we did it one year. That was the year of the mulled wine. But yeah, we usually don't wine. we don't pajamify too much. Do you wear pajamas nightly? Yes. Do you do? Yes. Well, like to go to bed? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I try to. I love wearing pajamas. I love pajamas too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a design on your pajamas? Are they plaid? Uh, it's kind of like Bruce's uh, shirt here, which is a nice kind of bluish plaid. Oh, I like plaid pajamas. I do wear pajamas to work. No, I'm kidding. Huh? <laughs> Bruce is in pajamas right, right now. now. I would if I could, if that <laughs> was socially acceptable. 
We should start our own pajama company and then just wear pajamas in the office. Yeah, with pickles on them. Yeah, pickle pajamas. I have polar bear pajamas. Ooh. Uh, I don't like uh, just wearing underwear to bed because more often than not, the underwear rides up into my ass. And And what if the killer breaks in? You're so vulnerable and just underwear. Well, I don't know if uh, pajamas are going to be that extra shield if he stabs me in the leg. <laughs> Look, I stabbed you in the shin. It's okay. I'm wearing my pajamas. The fabric protected. It's a mystical pajam. I just feel like I'm more empowered when I don't feel so violated. I feel quicker because I have less layers, so mm. I can move more skillfully. Just right. in underwear? Just in underwear. No, a shirt. I, I, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've slept in the nude before. And I've slept without my top on. Uh, I, I don't know. I just it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. It's kind of weird. I feel like I, I like I didn't really get a good sleep or I didn't dream well because I was naked. Mm. I've never done it, but I mean, I could, I guess. Yeah, nothing's <laughs> stopping. You're you. gonna have to. That will, could be a project for you in Thunder Bay. No, don't do no, it. Not Thunder Bay. Parents no, no, house. no, 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 no. It's family. You can't. But you're sleeping by yourself. Mom and dad can walk in at any moment. Exactly. Yeah, but you're going to be having your covers on. He can't be protected. Oh, that's good. You might, are you um, a cover tosser? Kicker, are you a kicker? Yeah. Yeah. I kick the covers everywhere. I'm a kicker. Yeah. Can't do the covers. Wow. My stomach is growling. Is that your stomach? I thought yeah, that was I like that the... from here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Someone that was... Is I really hope we capture that on mic. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I thought that was the winter wind. It's wow. like, <laughs> like we were in like a Peanuts episode or something. Wow. Charlie Brown, the winter wind is arriving. Okay, so that brings me to it's Christmas. The winter wind. Let's get off the subject of my it's growling Andrew's no. belly. The sounds of digestion. Pickle juice now. Let's get on the topic of Christmas entertainment. What are your? What's your favorite Christmas movie, Bruce? Because oh, I think Christmas me and movie. Luca have the same one. Yes, Christmas movie. Um... Okay, if I'm really going to be nostalgic, it's going to be Charlie Brown Christmas. Classic. Yeah. And that's nostalgia. But I would have to say any of the Home Alones, one or two. One or two? Well, yeah. Mostly two. That's, and then I'll those watch are one. great selections. Mostly, Mostly two. Mostly two, yeah. I love, I love number two. Two is good. I would say two is the only really fantastic part of two is the uh, just the final scene when he, uh, like the, the prank scene when he's uh, burning um, Pesci and Daniel yeah. Stern. Yeah. Um, but I think as a whole, one is better, like way better. But two is good. It's a classic. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that he revisits the homeless lady and brings her a, a, an ornament. He brings her like a turtle dove ornament. You know, like the homeless lady? And she's like starving and she's like, Thanks. She's starving. Yeah. He's from a wealthy family. She's eating pigeons. She, <laughs> she's eating <laughs> and by the way, what tree is she going to hang this ornament on? She's homeless. I love how she wasn't charged with anything that she did. Like, no one, for both movies, zero people faced any repercussions. Like, that wouldn't fly today. No. She took a kid. She would have, (laughs) yeah. She was the pigeon lady who's been eating pigeons and attacking these poor robbers. Uh, That would never happen too well. I worked at Macaulay Culkin party once. What? Yeah. Was it when he was here with Velvet or the Pizza Underground? Underground. That's hilarious. So I worked that, and what... The beginning of the show, they were playing Michael Jackson, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a little, but, on, the, but a he, little on the nose. He's maybe? on the nose. The DJ was spinning Michael. I'm like, all right. And there was nothing <laughs> but. And if anybody is not familiar with the, with pizza, the pizza Underground, the Pizza Underground, they play the instruments on pizza, pizza boxes, basically. And uh, and they do Velvet Underground songs, but yeah. they replace like the word pizza over a lot of different songs and on stuff. everything. Yeah, or a lot of different words. Mm. So I'm not the biggest fan, but um, did you meet was, Macaulay himself? Here's the here's the tea on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Spill it. He came out and people bum rushed him, like just a couple of girls, and he just threw his hands up and was like, "No!" Like good he wanted for him. His space. Good for him. Yeah, it was good, but at the same time, I'm like, it's to be expected that you're gonna, you know, you came here for yes to do this, and you're gonna have fans. I've been talking about this with Sarah all week because she keeps finding different ways to bum rush me. I'd say <laughs> forever. Double, double standard there. <laughs> Maybe. Shout out to Sarah Kay, who is our one of our, our, our champions of the office, as well as uh, shouting out to Krista Couture, mm, yes, who we have an interview with that we'll be featuring later in the program. But I do want to track back to something, and this is actually related to Krista as well, because she mentioned it on her program, is a remake of Home Alone? Mm. A remake? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that just was announced. They have the whole cast ready to rock. 
but who was asking for this? Who she nailed it? Like who needs this remake? No. Why? <laughs> it's like like why do you? As have I raise to my re- hand, come up with something new, a new idea. And then they do that with number three, and then they just didn't do anything. That was know. the one with the evil stepmom, right? Uh, I, I refuse so. to watch that one. Well, better than Home Alone three, four, and five because there is fourth and fifth. That's oh, but Fre- wasn't French Stewart in one of them? The guy I from don't know 30 who Rock? that is. Oh, not Thirty Rock. Uh, Thirty Rock from the Sun. Don't know. Don't care. Our Ooh. favorite Christmas movie, <laughs> the, the Christmas Sass. What's going on with your aversion <laughs> to uh, Third Rock from the Sun? You kind of said that in like a 1950s gangster way, like much like a Joe Pesci might. Don't know. Don't, Don't care. care. <laughs> Sorry about it. Yeah, why Why so Third Rock I from just, the Sun? I know the, the general premise. I know that woman with the deep voices on it, Kristen yes. Johnston. Yes. And uh, John Lithgow. Yes. And that's all I know. I think the writing on that show is unbelievably good. Okay. And the acting is fantastic, and I think you would love it. Well, you recommended Frasier, and so far I'm loving Frasier. So I think so you should check out Third Rock from the Sun. We have, do you, are you familiar with Third Rock from the Sun? Bruce? I do, but I can't remember the characters. Like, I watched the series, yeah. but I don't you know. If you told me their names right now, I wouldn't know. So the premise is, yeah, uh, and a group of aliens come to Earth, and they are disguised as humans, and they're just, you know, studying Earth and, you know, the, the habits and different kind of ideas and culture of Earth. Isn't that the premise of Mork and Mindy? Not Mork and Mindy. What's the one with Robin Williams? That's Mork and Mindy. Okay. But I don't remember that show. He was just an alien. I don't remember really. I didn't grow up with that show. No. So I don't really know what's going on there. But I've seen bits of it, and he's just, you know, classic he's Robin. Hilarious. And I need to watch Jumanji. You're full of recommendations for me. Yeah, I thought it was a good recommend. Like, you've seen Jumanji, mm-hmm. Bruce. Mm-hmm. The Rock Jumanji? No, the original <laughs> Jumanji. The I watched Williams. The Rock Jumanji, and it was not it was, good. No. We seem to have similar tastes Yes. in terms of comedy. Yes. And we both love a movie about a Red Rider air rifle. You've been waiting to get to this since we mentioned the favorite Christmas movies, and you're right. The Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. You're going to shoot your eye out. Precisely. Yes. Do you know that movie, Bruce? No. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Christmas story. It's the one with the famous scene where the boy gets his tongue stuck to the pole. Oh, that one. Yeah. I know of it, but not. And a very scary Santa Claus and an even scarier elf. I have a hard time ho, watching. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and then he kicks the boy in the face. <laughs> he just kicks him down the slide. <laughs> that movie's so good. That movie's very, uh, it just goes for it. Mm-hmm. Which I loved, and I love just... the '40s. I I just like to go back in time in my mind to that era. See, I can't watch old movies. It's, I it's have a hard. It's time old. Time. It's from the '80s, but it takes place in the '40s. Yeah, right. I think '40s or '50s. I think '40s, maybe '50s. But it's great. But my dad, who grew up in the '50s, will like point out, "Hey, do you know what that is? You know what that is? Like that's Sam. a spoon, son. That's a... <laughs> we don't use those anymore. You know what has scarred me for life is Scrooge." It made me Why develop a fear you? of getting cremated. <laughs> I never seen he that. He came one. back to life in the box, like he's like fighting the cremation. Wait, what? And I was like, oh my god, I never want to have. Why like, do you have a fear cremated. of being cremated? You have to have a. Tr- you heard of know. people that come back to life, burnt alive, basically. <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, getting burnt alive is a. That's very, a valid fear. You never yeah, think of fear. that other side, but they show it. So I was like, ever since I was a kid watching this, I'm like, oh my god. This is a Christmas film. It is a Christmas. Scrooge. I've never seen it with Bill Murray. I know him. I'll I watch think. it. You'll like it. You'll like it. <laughs> it's it's good. And de- you'll develop develop fears too. Oh, you, what's uh, it? <laughs> it was uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, yeah, who's buddy? Uh, who's an intern? Oh, Simone. Simone. So he was walking. There was he, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and you Actually, you know what? How's it so going? we have our walk-in, and it's not JT. That's right. It's Simone. How's it going, bud? Good. How are you? So we are, I placed a bet that JT was going to interrupt the pod because everyone so far has, like, every we, other member we've had a walk-in, a random in. walk-in every podcast that we've recorded. So <laughs> I said to these two fools, okay, if JT walks in, you guys have to do a shot of pickle juice. Okay. And if someone else walks in, I have to do a shot of pickle juice. So now I got to do a shot of pickle juice. It's oh. old pickle juice. I know that old. Like I like I opened the jar this morning because I crushed I, a couple I still pickles. Think the bet should go because I was like I was told to come in. I didn't interrupt. 
oh, shut up, Simone. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a little stipulation there. The little stipple staple. I love it. The, the bet has been achieved, uh-huh. or at least the, the prophecy has been foretold. Exactly. Yeah. Now I know. Now I know. Yeah, right. bye, Tell Simone. Good to see you, Simone. Everybody. So you were also in. You're going back to Thunder Bay. Andrew's going to Thunder Bay Christmas. Yeah. Christmas, but you also just came back from Thunder Bay. I just came back from Thunder Bay. I was up there for our community uh, dinner, which is uh, they fly in people from all over Canada and the U.S. Um, That's right. You were there last year. Yeah. So yeah. I go every year. And they fly up. They feed you, give you gifts, and then uh, you fly back down. <laughs> Very nice. Was the food delicious? The food was delicious, and I brought back some delicacies from Ooh. Thunder Bay, which are the uh, infamous Persians oh. for our Christmas party, which was uh, pretty dope. So can you explain again what a Persian is? So a Persian is um, kind of a dessert. If you look it up, look up the Persian man. Sponsorship's available. Or the Persian <laughs> roll. Huh? If you type in the Persian, you'll get the people or the rug or like oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. war, but the Persian roll can't can't mess with that. Yeah, so basically it, it is a big, huge like cinnamon bun, and there is like a strawberry type frosting on it, and you can only find this in Thunder Bay. I thought it was cherry. So we have this raspberry. debate whether it's raspberry cherry or <laughs> strawberry. So that's it's a, a sugar bomb. At it's the a end sugar of the day. bomb. It's uh, you'll be climbing up the walls it after. Doesn't you even went. matter because it's so yeah. good. What's everybody's favorite Christmas tune? Mm. To your point, mm. uh, you mentioned how Charlie Brown Christmas is one of your favorite Christmas films. That right. soundtrack, soundtrack's sick. By Vince Guaraldi yeah. is probably my favorite Christmas just collection of songs. It's amazing. I like the Darling Love Christmas. Yeah, it's classic. Any of those old like fifties like uh, doo wop kind of Phil Spectory, right. Ronettes and the Crystals and stuff like that. For me, Wasn't that's uh, Phil Spector the Killer. Yeah, he may or may not have killed someone, but he was a really good producer. That doesn't excuse anything for what he did, but uh, if we can go back in time, again, to this era that you love of the 50s and such and the 60s, um, yeah, definitely th- those kind of like classic girl group doo-wop that just yeah. kind of wall of noise and the Christmas songs behind it. Oh, man, so good. Mm-hmm. Too good. I think I'm pretty generic, and I just go with like the Mariah Carey. I'm, I'm stuck on that every year. Did you, like me, wait... Two outside hours of outside, yes, I did. Oh <laughs> my god! For two to watch songs, her press play on a CD player. It was the worst thing ever. Poorly lip sync to "All I Want for Christmas" and another song that I don't remember. Yeah, I remember that. I was cold. And then say, "All right, let's go shopping." And then she walked away with two million dollars. She walked away with two million dollars for a five-minute performance that took two hours to do. Oh and my god! I'm gonna two hours. You guys waited. That's so silly. You guys are so silly. You yeah. guys should be disappointed in yourselves. I was. For I left long. and I was disappointed and then I got in a fight with my partner. Like, and yet partner. you're still loyal to her Christmas song. Unfortunately, I hate that I am, uh-huh. but I, I can't get away from that. You know who else loves Mariah Carey? Krista Couture? She does. Oh. I know she does. <laughs> I love Krista and the fact that she <laughs> likes Mariah Carey. At least I have somebody on my side. <laughs> I feel alone sometimes. Shall we jump into that conversation that we had the pleasure of doing? Yeah, let's jump into the conversation with Krista Couture. But hold on a second. What? Okay, yeah, let's do it. So next up, we have our conversation with Krista Couture with uh, Andrew and Luca. Yes. And um, they're going to talk about her book, uh, How to Lose Everything, mm-hmm. and an upcoming album called Safe Harbor being released in 2020. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, it's amazing. So let's get into it and uh, talk to Krista. Our guest today on The Barbershop is an award-winning musician, writer, artist, producer, and broadcaster. Amongst the myriad of incredibly cool projects she has on the go, she has a new album coming out in 2020, which will be a follow-up to 2016's excellent Long Time Leaving. Her debut nonfiction book, How to Lose Everything, will be published in 2020 by Douglas and McIntyre. Her essay, Sinibe, appears in the 2019 collection Radiant Voices, 21 Feminist Essays for Rising Up, and she brightens up your weekdays from 12 to 3 on 106.5 Element FM. She's number 99 in your program and number one in your hearts, the legendary singing woman known as Krista Couture. Wow, thank you. That was awesome. (laughs) Now I I put 99. Yeah, she was shaking her head. Because I only, that's the only reference, because usually when I chat with someone from Edmonton or Vancouver or something like that, my mind immediately goes hockey team, the hockey team from that city. So 99, 
Gretzky. Nice. You're tying in the city of champions. You're a champion. And that is the only hockey talk that I will bring up. Unless you guys want to talk hockey. But I'm going to avoid it. Well, unless Krista knows hockey. Do you know hockey? I know that it's a sports thing. So you'll be talking to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I mean, I grew up in Edmonton. I remember when Gretzky got traded because I was over at Eartha Dupuis' house and we were watching it on TV and we were in tears. You know, we were like eight years old or whatever. What year was that? I mean, we were kids. I think it was 89. 89. Okay. 10 or 11. And I mean, we were just sobbing, but not because we necessarily like were hockey fans, but because I think he was crying. And we just, yeah. even if you weren't a hockey fan and you lived in Edmonton, you could feel it. You knew something big was happening. Mm-hmm. So I totally cried. appreciate that. That's right. right. The whole city wept. That's heavy. The day that Edmonton wept. Oh my God. This hole went over my head. I don't know. <laughs> I know Gretzky. You're right. The great one, right? Well, it was. It's it was a, hey, it, good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. It was just uh, the Oilers were still a big deal mm-hmm. in Edmonton, but mm-hmm. they were the big deal in like in the, the 80s. whole world in the eighties. They were like the biggest team ever, and he was the he was the champion of the city. Mm-hmm. And then he got traded, and we all cried. That's that's yeah. the whole story, basically. And that's our sports talk. Yeah, that's sports talk <laughs> on the barbershop with Krista and Andrew St. Germain. The uh, least qualified people to talk about sports. That would be the greatest sports podcast ever. <laughs> Want to do it? Yeah, we should. Just our take on sports. Yeah. And, how, <laughs> and what makes us cry. And what makes us cry. <laughs> <laughs> if we add that to it, I'm sure we can come up with some things to talk about. I was asked recently, like, what made what's the last thing that made you cry? And it was... A carpool karaoke with Michael Bublé. Oh, so really? I'm like, apparently anything makes me cry. <laughs> if I'm crying at carpool karaoke. Oh, and I also saw the Amy Winehouse documentary. Did you ever watch oh, that? No, I never did. Well, you'll probably cry. Yeah, most things make me cry. Yeah? Like, I'm almost in tears now. I just like, I just, I'm a big crier. I cry a lot. So if, if you ask me the last thing that made me cry, I wouldn't know because it might, I just feel like it's all the time. How could I remember what that was? Mm-hmm. Something this morning. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's good to keep those emotions right on your surface. Oh, yeah. Do you like sad songs? I love sad songs. Me too. Yeah. Luca? Yeah. I, I, I love a lot of sad songs. But you don't pay that close attention to lyrics, you said. No, but sometimes you just kind of feel it, right? right? Mm. And sometimes some of those lyrics just kind of jump out and just kind of grab you by the collar. And it's like, okay, listen to me, Luca. This is important stuff that you got to really be moved by. It's like, all right, mind, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's what Gretzky was saying through the TV <laughs> back yeah. in 1989. I don't want to know what Wayne Gretzky's listening to, to be <laughs> honest. But I would like to just start off, yeah, because we talked about off air, uh, Ansley Simpson. We had the pleasure of chatting with last mm. week. Yeah, I listened awesome. to that. She's so cool. Um, She's going to be a collaborator on this upcoming new release alongside uh, Michelle St. Jean. You guys worked on the song Weightless Lullaby. Yes. Can we please talk about that song, the collaborations, and yeah, what's going down? So that song is around. It's a very simple song. Um, it's called Weightless Lullaby. It, it, at first listen, once you hear it, when it comes out in the new year, I mean, it's it, it sounds like a love song, but it's actually about waiting for a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. And it's about kind of trying to sleep at night, hoping that someone you love is going to live, but to hope for them to live means someone else has to die. I mean, that's when you're waiting for an organ transplant, that's Mm. the the truth of it. And so this song is a lullaby for trying to sleep on those nights. And um, we originally recorded it with me singing all three parts, and then I was listening to the mix, and I was like, God, this this needs to be other voices. I want to hear other people singing this with me. It's around. It should be other voices. And so um, I'm just a huge fan of Ansley and just asked her if she would do it. She said, yes, I was thrilled. And Michelle also, I know, I mean, she's an incredible singer and she's done a lot of singing in her life. I don't, and I think she doesn't always think of herself as a singer, even though she does it a lot, but she's a director, she's an actor. um, And, but I asked her to do it because I just, I just really like her. And it was so moving to have them on the record. They're both indigenous women. It meant a lot to me to have their voices on there. And I love how it turned out. Mm. I can't wait. I can't wait either. <laughs> Holy cow. So are they the only two collaborators, like folks who are featuring on different songs on this release? E- well, I just was finishing the last little bits. We uh, actually also on Weightless Lullaby, we got Carrie Latimer, who is in Leaf Rapids and uh, was in Nathan um, when that was a thing. Um, but she plays theremin and I didn't know I like jokingly said to Jim Bryson I went not even jokingly I was like my dream we were talking about doing strings in weightless lullaby I was like I kind of would like it to be a theremin I figured we don't know anyone he was like 
Carrie Latimer plays theremin. So she does a guest theremin spot, which is pretty, pretty thrilling. I was kind of, I was speaking sort of tongue in cheek about the theremin and Luca chimes in totally wholeheartedly. He loves the theremin. It's a cool instrument. It's my, I mean, this is my, whatever, seventh uh, recording. I don't even know. It's the first time I've had theremin. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Like my introduction to theremin was like, Radiohead and old like nerdy proggy stuff for the 70s and then when I was in a band my buddy bought like a cheap theremin online and like we would just spend like hours and like after the jams just like he was just like wielding it like a wizard no right <laughs> like, it's oh, magical my God, this is crazy yeah, I know it's eerie and it's like atmospheric and it always sounds sad yeah yeah mm, I love but, it like a good like oh, yeah spectral sad and also kind of like not hokey but there's something that's like well, I liked it because I felt like this song, it's really a sad song. It's kind of heavy, even though it has this, it sounds like this beautiful lullaby. But once you know what it's about, it's a sad song. Yeah. And I felt like Strings was almost too on the nose for sad song. And I was like, Theremin Ooh. gives it like a little bit of quirky. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. It's just like the Theremin is like sad, but it's just like a little bit kooky. And so it also like. Also like really weightless, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Weightless lullaby. Weightless. What do you think about that? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I just came up with that myself. You get, came up with a good play on words. Holy Hannah. Did you ever consider calling the song Weightless Lullaby? <laughs> no. <laughs> Before that, it was just lullaby. Thank you, Luca. <laughs> I love it, though. My introduction to the theremin was at Young and Bloor Station when I was sort of talking tongue-in-cheek with Luca, and a guy dressed as Santa Claus was playing the theremin to Creep by Radiohead. Cool. And I got a video of it. I'm like, what? what is this? And Luca's like, I love the theremin. That's amazing. Yeah. Shout out to that guy. Shout out to that guy. Actually, you know that guy. Yeah. He's a gentleman who always plays at Young and Bloor. Um, and he plays all sorts of stuff. I can't remember his name, but he's a good dude and he has a nice face and nice glasses. Mm. But he plays all sorts of things. And yeah, just, you know, I, I think Young and Bloor has weird problems. Our subways have weird problems, but... I think we're blessed to have some amazing kind of subway performers mm. who, like at Union, you have the guys, the accordion yep. and the guitar and stuff who are awesome. Yeah, I really love the subway performers in this city. They I think brighten it up. Street performers really do brighten up everything. Oh, yeah. I've never busked. I cannot. I'm too afraid. Just because I feel like I, that like, I mean, I think it's a really probably a good thing to do as a performer because mm-hmm. you just have to get up and do it no matter what. Yeah. Um, and I, I just like the rejection would get to me. Like yeah. if someone walked by and like I didn't get them, I oh, it would crush me. What's your relationship to what's the, your relationship to the stage? Like we were talking with Ansley about how she regrets everything that she commits to the moment before she goes on stage. Yes. Why did I do this? And she's like, "You like this. You like doing this. You actually like this." It's like a mental pep talk. When I heard, I listened to that, and when I heard her talking about her performance anxiety, I felt such relief because I go through the same thing and in part it's there's a number of reasons that I performed very little the last two years up until two years ago it was you know my full-time gig I was playing tons of shows every year touring Canada and Europe and I stopped in part because I have such anxiety mm-hmm. um and because I had a baby so that was like a good excuse and and is a good reason not yeah. just an excuse to not be on the road but yeah I I have a similar relationship with the stage where I feel very very nervous um and beforehand I'm regretting it. Yeah. I want to, I want to back out and I do it. And then once it's over, I'm like, that was amazing. Okay. The adrenaline. <laughs> which, which is ridiculous that I go through it every time. I did a speaking thing a couple weeks ago, a walrus talk, a seven minute talk. So not even like a set of music. Like I didn't have to play instruments or anything. And, uh, I went through the same thing. And part of me the night before, when I just like was almost sick to my stomach, I was like, really? Really? You're going to go through this? for a t- oh, Like, okay, fine. You get nervous for everything. Fine. You do this every time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of had enough perspective to be like, oh, it's that thing I do yeah. where I make myself almost sick from my nerves, and then I'm glad I did it. Great. This but is- do you think maybe if you reverse the order, if you felt, like, <laughs> cocky going into it, at the end, maybe you'd be like, I don't know if that was so great. Ooh, see, no, I don't want that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's good. You you found a sweet spot. <laughs> And you have a book coming out, too. I do. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I love It's like an autobiography, right? It's a memoir. Okay. So it's not like um, the story of my life. It's just stories from my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And tell me about it. T- tell us about it. <laughs> I'm just going to tell Andrew. Luca, don't listen. Luca, gonna, Luca. Gonna, <laughs> Luca. <laughs> Look away. Right yeah. Right not for your ears. It's called How to Lose Everything. Yeah. And a lot of the stories in the book are stories that have been in my albums the last 
you know, the last four albums, not this new one. Like the new one, it kind of isn't a different story. But the book is um, telling a lot of the things I've told in song, but that I just still needed to keep saying. And what's been really satisfying about the memoir is that I've been able to tell it in a longer form. You know, Mm. like I've been able to talk about some of the stuff in my life through song. But through song, you can kind of disguise things. It's three minutes. You make it rhyme. It's open to interpretation. And um, that was still really uh, has been a really powerful way for me to share my experiences. But through the book, through the process of writing the book, I've been able to really kind of reflect and examine my stories and and make more decisions about how to tell my stories um, in a more in-depth way. And so each chapter focuses on like a different loss in my life, effectively. Um, There's a chapter. It starts off with uh, I had bone cancer when I was a kid. Um, there's a chapter about my leg being amputated, um, due to the bone cancer. There's a chapter when I had an abortion in my early twenties. Um, there's a chapter when I had my first son who died as a newborn. There's a chapter when I had my second son. The list goes on when my second, I'm like making jokes about it, but it's like, I start to list it and it sounds so depressing, but there's my, my second son's death. There's my divorce after that. Um, there was a Volca injury I had. And then in between though, there's kind of like the dots that connect it. Like before I had my, my son and before I got divorced I fell in love you know so there's like that story that came first and and it ends um about five years ago when I moved to Toronto to just kind of pick up the pieces and try and start over and it does end on like a hopeful note I couldn't have written the book if I wasn't on the other side of those experiences and and able to say I'm okay like it's okay guys I'm okay yeah (laughs) um and so it's been really nice to reach a point of being okay and being able to tell these stories in a new way that's what I find so interesting about your writing though because it's the content is unbelievable like you've lived like nine lives or something but you always come at it I don't know if sense of humor is the right word but you come at it with this real relatability like I was reading the wallflower and there's some heavy moments in that essay Mm. I mean, I feel like, like, we know this, we see this in our Indigenous communities. Like, you go through some, can I swear on this? Probably not. You go through hard things. You go through some guys. (laughs) You can believe that out. And often the people who go through the hardest times come through with kind of a dark humor because it's, it's a sign of resilience. And the thing is, like, actually, this is in my book, the story, like, resilience sucks. You don't know if you're a resilient person or if you have a resilient culture until you've suffered because you don't have to... You don't have to discover your fortitude unless you mm. face a tragedy. And so if you're a resilient person, it's only because you've been through some kind of hell. And I feel like with resiliency often comes humor because it's just a really good coping strategy. <laughs> and it's a really good way to hold these dark, painful things with some lightness. And I feel like having, you know, being able to laugh about some stuff or or, or still have humor when you're talking about really difficult things actually is a kind of like love and expression and and it's it's just holding it in a place where you can handle it (laughs) i love that you know it's like the lightness is the word i think i'm looking for Mm, yeah it's heavy you measure the heaviness with the lightness yeah i like about your writing and that's why i can't wait for how to lose everything when does that come out (laughs) the fall 2020 2020. thank you and so with the new album um would you say i guess there are some stories that um have kind of found their way onto this new release that are coming through? Yeah, so we talked about Weightless Lullaby. I think that's the only song on this new album that has anything to do with those sad stories. Um, I mean, my, my second son, Ford, received a heart transplant not long before he died. And so I'm that song, Weightless Lullaby, is from a personal experience. Um, and it's the only one that made it onto the record that kind of is about my kids. But I wanted to make something for the first time in years that wasn't about them and not because I don't love them and I want to stop honoring them, but I'm like, I just wrote a book. So like, mm. like I, I want to write some songs about something else. And because I am in a place of being okay, as mentioned, and like I don't really need to process in the same way. I've done so much of that. I've done so much grieving. I didn't need my music to be the place to go to do that. So that most of the songs, it's six songs. It's, it's a short, it's like 22 minutes. Um, the other songs on the album are are different stories, kind of for the first time in my life. And for the first recording in my life, I think otherwise they're mostly stories not about me. I've always been a really self-referential writer, um, and I, I just don't really make stuff up. I just talk about myself a lot in my work. Um, and But this album, there's a song that I was commissioned to write that's based on The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Dimeline. Okay. Um, so that's based on her book. There's a song that I wrote that was part of an art exhibit at The Gardener. 
Um, and so that was kind of like coming from another place. So the album was called Safe Harbor. And I called it that because I felt like I was actually starting to write and create something from a safe place where I got to just like look around me instead of look inward all the time, which I needed to do for so long because of all the extraordinary experiences that I've had. Um, but with this music, I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a place now where something horrible hasn't happened in a while. Let's knock on wood. And um, <laughs> poi, poi, poi. Um, and but so I can actually kind of look around me and see what's up and figure out what I want to say about other stuff. You're in the barbershop with Andrew St. Germain, Luca Capone, and we're here with Krista Couture. Yay. <laughs> and the album is called Safe Harbor. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because we keep referring to the new album, but we yes. know it has a name. It has a name. We can call her by her name. And you did the album art recently, I think? I did the photo shoot with um, Jen Squires, who's a Toronto photographer. I just love, like, I tell her my ideas. And not only does she get what I'm saying, she makes it better every single time. We've worked together three times. She did the photos for my last album. Um, she did my maternity photos, which I then published. They went the viral. Legendary. The legendary viral maternity photos. So that's Jen Squires. And, uh, and then she did the photos for this album. I'm really excited. They turned out like beyond my expectations. And I threw a kind of wacky idea at her that we had to pull off with like a low budget. Like if we'd had like a crane, it would have, we could have nailed it. I was like, can we do oh. something for cheap, but from above? And so she was like hanging off ladders. I mean, she went above and be literally above and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been working on putting the artwork together. She did the photos. I've got actually Ansley Simpson's cousin, Andrew Oliver is doing the layout. Um, that and family's like a powerhouse. Of incredible, craziness. incredible family, talented, lovely folks. Um, so that's all coming together. It's coming out on Coke's records. The plan is March 20th. Nice. Oh, man. Uh, so we chatted with GR Grit. That's right. On uh, It's going to be releasing on Coke's. Yeah. It's going to be releasing on Coke. Shout out to Ray Spoon yeah. and the Coke's crew. Yeah. Ray is like doing a really wonderful thing. I mean, labels are kind of, you know, they can't do a lot. There's no money. But Ray is basically just trying to help. <laughs> they're like, I've been doing this a long time. I've got some resources. What do you need? And they're, um, you know, trying to just make sure that Indigenous artists, trans artists, non-binary artists um, have a place to get just that bit of support, you know. And uh, so Ray's, Ray's incredible. I love that they're they're helping a lot of folks put music out. And and I kind of like for me, th th working with a label is like just wanting to feel a little less alone. Like I'm like, I just want a bit of solidarity in this like weird kooky thing of putting music out in the world. And and because there isn't money, <laughs> yeah. it's like, can we just at least like, can I run something past you? That would be amazing. So yeah, it's it's so much more like a, a full on collective kind of community than a, a label. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, so I need to talk about, uh, I need to ask about uh, Jim Bryson, just the experience working with Jim on this new release, and also the, I guess, the departure from working with Steve Dawson, who was on Living Record and Long Time Leaving. Mm. Just, yeah, this kind of uh, interesting uh, new chapter. Yeah, and I get attached to producers. I mean, my first two albums were made with this guy Futcher in Vancouver, and then, yeah, two albums with Steve. Um I've always been a fan of Jim's. Like, I don't know from when. Like, uh, I think I first heard about him when he made that album with the Weaker Thans. And then I... Jim Bryson and the Weaker yeah, Thans. Yeah, that's, that's the one. And like, and then kind of branched out and looked at his other his other work. And, and then I just noticed that he was producing albums of a lot of other people I love, like Tara Williamson, um, Amanda Rayom. And like we kind of jokingly, he might uh, hate me for saying this. We call him Indian Jim. No one, <laughs> <laughs> because he works with so many indigenous people. He's not indigenous. He's Portuguese. But like we just we like to call him that. The community likes to call him that. But he just for some reason we we like him. And I so I saw I loved his music. I saw that he was working with a lot of not just other artists I like, but a lot of other indigenous artists. And um, you know asked him if he would want to do something together and he said yes and it was a blast making this album like another reason that I'm calling it Safe Harbor it's sort of the first time in my music career that I've made an album that um I'm not kind of <laughs> I it, my career isn't riding on it like in the past mm -hmm. I mean I made albums because I wanted to and needed to and it's how I express myself whatever <laughs> but it was also like I have a two-year plan I'm going on tour I want to sell this many so I can qualify for this funding I need to apply to this whatever, like just the industry side of working a career in music. Yeah. And because I've stepped away from that and I'm doing some other stuff, the book and, you know, working here at the station. And um, I got to just make this album kind of for kicks. 
And so I showed up at Jim's studio in Stittsville and was like, let's just have a good week, you and me, and a few other people that are going to come in here and play on this. Like, I just want to enjoy it. And hopefully we like it. That's we, Let's start with us liking it. And then when it goes out in the world, like there's some people I know who are going to want to hear it, like people on my mailing list or whatever. But if I don't gain more fans, like it's just a very different mindset. So I feel like I'm also putting this out in a way that I'm like, I, I, I just I'm coming at it from a different angle. It's also why it's safe harbor. because I'm just like, I made a thing that I liked. It's OK if you don't like it because I don't care. <laughs> Screw those people. Screw those people. Not that I'm just alienating everybody. <laughs> and she needed a crane for the album art. What do you think that means? <laughs> we didn't get know. one. We only I got a ladder. <laughs> We're in Toronto, Krista. You couldn't find a crane. <laughs> <laughs> for folks who haven't heard Krista's music, I think when I kind of come across in my mind, uh, I think if you're fond of um, artists like Bill Callahan, Regina Spector, Jeff Tweedy, Tori Amos, Kate Mackey, um, those are, I think, for me at least, big reference points. Um, but I got to ask about a band that you may or may not have, or may may or may not have had an influence uh, on you. And I'm going to reference this picture, uh, and this is horrible radio, but if you can describe the picture and the group. What's um, happening? Uh, please, yeah, please elaborate. I'm going to pass this picture pass over. It. I've been passed a piece of paper. Oh, my God. <laughs> Luca. Um, this is a photo. This is a, do we have a date on here somewhere? October 4th, 1963. We have two folks, you know, two men in the black glasses. One's holding a banjo. One's got an acoustic guitar. And there's a beautiful young blonde woman singing her heart out. And according to the picture, her name is Corrine Thorsell. Uh, the band is called the Cellar Dwellers. And that is my mom. Mm. Um, look at her. Holy smoke. Rocket. Gosh, she's a babe. My mom, you know what? I have my, I sound just like my mom, like my singing, like I sound like my mom if she hung out in bars, like her, vo- <laughs> her voice is much clearer and like crystal clear, but our, we have even our speaking voices. I, I, I mean, my father was a beautiful singer too, but I, I, I sound just like her. So I really owe a lot to her as a singer, but this is amazing. Where on earth did you get this? 1963. The Edmonton Journal. I wonder if she she must know this exists. She's probably forgotten. I can't wait to show her. This is going to blow her mind. And so the, the cellar dwellers, they used to be called the Voyagers. They were. But they were part of that kooky Edmonton folk scene. Edmonton folk scene in the 60s. I mean, they were like the affordable Peter, Paul, and Mary of Alberta. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so the two guys, the female voice, they were singing all the same songs. I mean, that was a time where you sang everybody's songs, yeah. right? Like, if you showed up at a show and that person sang all Bob Dylan, you weren't like, what? The way we would be now. Mm-hmm. But that's what you did. And so, uh, yeah, they had the three-part harmonies. Incredible. She was married to Barry briefly for a year. Just that's some gossip about the cellar dwellers right and there. Drama. Yeah, Ben and the app didn't last. They were young, foolish. They moved on. Were there any records that you guys kind of just kind of always geeked out over? Uh, my mom and I? Yeah. I mean, I grew up with her vinyl, you know, Carol King and the Beatles and Joni Mitchell. I mean, you can you can tell. <laughs> yeah. So Edmonton, a big deal for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of your songs and albums, they capture... Um, you know, just where you are and just the effect that that kind of environment has, whether it's London, whether it's Amsterdam. I'm curious on this new record, are you telling kind of stories of Toronto as well? Hmm. A little bit. I mean, you're right. Place, because I'm so autobiographical, place has always been a really big part in my songs. I think because these ones, like I mentioned, are more outward. I'm not reflecting place as much in them. Um, The song, the first song on the album called Like Water, Like Earth that I wrote for the exhibit at the Gardener, um, even though I don't mention Toronto, I think it's very much a, a, about kind of those downtown corners where we know that like our ancestors' bones are buried in the yeah. foundation of buildings. And, um, and so that's in that song. But I, I mean, I love that you know that and you notice that about my songs. I don't know if there's much place on this. I'd have to like, I, I don't think there is. It's not those kinds of stories this time. You're listening to The Barbershop on Element FM. My name's Luca Capone. I'm Andrew St. Germain. And we're here with... Krista Couture. And speaking of city, one of the things that jumped out at me in the Wallflower piece is, quote, what else did I move to this big city but to say yes? And I look at your life and you seem to come from a place of yes at so many different things because you have, you trapeze. Is that, is that the word? Aerialist. You're like aerial. 
Yeah, I aerialist aerial silks. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do and <laughs> go on. Like uh elaborate on that. Why else did I move to the city but to, to say, say yes. yes? Okay, so in that piece which is called Wallflower Late Bloomer, it's about when I first moved to Toronto almost 6 years ago. I was newly separated. I you know, yeah, just had such a rough couple of years and I came here thinking for I was coming for a year. I ended up I you know, officially live here and moved here. Um I'd always loved the city. I'd always come here a few times a year and all of that. But gosh, what did I come to say yes? I mean, in that piece, it was like, I was just, you know, I was on Tinder. That's, yeah. a, that's a saying yes. <laughs> and I was just trying to like be really open-minded. And um, and at in that piece, it was like going dancing for the first time since junior high. And so I was saying yes to that. And it's true. I mean, even doing trying silks in the last couple of years, like I'm an amputee, like my left leg is amputated above the knee. And only having one leg is actually pretty limiting. <laughs> if you imagine it, just even wherever you are, just like get up from your chair on one leg. It's hard to do. Um, but in the last few years, like since moving here and trying dancing, I went blues dancing. I tried swing dancing, trying silks. It has been kind of a, a recent phase of saying yes to like pushing my physical limits. Yeah. I, have, I wonder, I don't know if I think of myself as like someone who says yes all the time. Otherwise, I mean, I think someone said to me a couple of years ago and I'm, this is pro well, should I quote it? It's their words. They said, I can't believe you're not a heroin addict or you're not dead. And I was like, I actually, it's fair. What does that mean? <laughs> it means that I've been through so much stuff that it would oh, make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you're right. It would make sense. And I, I'm very lucky that I haven't, um, you know, that I've managed to not become an addict or, or find myself in those situations. But like, uh, there's a lot of luck to it. But I think there's also ways that, yeah, maybe I've said yes to some other things that have kept me going, including stuff like dancing and aerialist or just getting out of bed. And if we can swear, the piece ends with you saying, I love dancing. <laughs> love dancing yeah it was really fun it was life-changing for sure you're describing some of the art that you've been working on before and i gotta throw back to kind of like a classic collective symbol i would love to learn the secrets and the origin behind the veggie vag oh, God. and why jimapel steve is such a funny video <laughs> where do you find it oh my god it's okay the, it's in the world in the world it's, it's in like, the edmonton archives did you like deep dive my twitter feed for this no no not a twitter i want to i, I want to know that. your your methods such incredible research luca well okay a couple friends and i over email would just be like because in the arts you're constantly writing grant applications and you know sample chapters and whatever and so we would send our stuff to each other just for like each other's eyes saying, can you have a look? Can you copy edit for me? Whatever. And we started calling ourselves um, the virtual editors group. And then I was like, oh, it's too bad we can't be the virtual authors group because then we could just be Vag and that's a lot more fun to be called, <laughs> to call ourselves Vag than call ourselves Veg. And then through that conversation, we started calling ourselves the Veggie Vag. It's just one of those jokes that happens. <laughs> but you designed like sticks. a really cool... Yeah, logo. It'd yeah. be like on a hockey jersey. Oh my god, it's true. I designed the logo. And then uh, my friend Susan like got that logo printed on fabric. I have a pillowcase with that logo. I mean, we just took it probably too far. <laughs> and uh that's that's the story of of the veggie vag. <laughs> just like an in-joke that went on for years. Jimapel Steve is a video on YouTube. You have to misspell appel. I can't remember how they spelled it. Um it's like um, if you if you if you search e, if you the first e yeah if take you it out. okay because <laughs> if you search the correct spelling you won't find it and it's just this like band backstage they're a band called Eloise and the Lazy Fair and um, one of the band members is in this like yellow jumpsuit and he's doing this ridiculous like f French imitation it's probably racist towards the French they can maybe handle it but like. It, it just is this like one minute of this guy being a goofball. And for some reason, every time I watch it, it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that will turn my day around if I'm having a bad day. I'm like, just watch Jim Appel Steve. And you just see him and he's making his friends laugh. I think that's what I like about it. Like if it has 100 views, there are probably 50 of them are me. But like I just <laughs> I just seeing this guy being goofing around and that his friends are just like, oh, my God, we love you so much. You're so funny. And just in this moment of friendship and ridiculousness, that's what Jim Appel Steve is. But it's also also a joke that's gone too far. A friend of mine embroidered it onto a bag for me. Those are the like, best jokes. Oh, though. man, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I just have a question, pretty broad, um, but 
I would just love to know, like, you know, it's the end of the season, end of the year, a couple of your favorite albums of 2019, but also maybe a couple of your favorites from the past decade that folks should really uh, folks should really know about. It's a tricky one. That's hard off the top of my head. That's one I could have done some research on. And you know what? I have a two-year-old. I, like, the when I got the, like, Spotify, Spotify, you know, most played or whatever, she really loves Sam Cooke. So, like, we <laughs> do a lot of Sam Cooke. And, um, but one of the albums I love this year, and I just saw she's coming back to Toronto, is Emily King um, hey. Scenery. She's doing an acoustic show at the Drake. I still have to get my tickets. I love, I love, love, love that album. And I've been listening to it over and over. Emily King has a song called Georgia. And then What's Her Name also has a song called Georgia, who I also dig. We play her. Oh my God. Uh, oh my God. She's in. Um, yes, Howard. Brittany Howard. There you go. Um, that album in this year. I mean, God, I, I will have to get back to you because it's like, how do you pick? Can you pick? Well, you could pick off the top of your head. I say that I've listened to those things Stop this year. Them. I've also heard baby shark more than anything because you can't avoid it when you have a two-year-old i have managed to find some like there's um david newbury i mean he's a, a vancouver tr- toronto transplant singer songwriter he's part of a kids group and they did a like they do a like version of baby shark and i try to listen to his kids music so I'm, at least i'm like he's a cool rock star that's that's something <laughs> and then for the 2010s oh my god like the last decade it's tricky dude 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 <laughs> how how could i I mean, I'm thinking about albums that have stood out, you know, shortly after my ex and I separated and I went on my longest tour ever. It was two months. It was part, mostly in Germany. And the album that I listened to over and over was Bear Creek um, by uh, Brandy Carlisle. That's in my last 10 years, one of my favorites. I love the success that sh- has come to her recently because she's got such a killer voice. She's a firecracker. Yeah. She's yeah. So good. Yeah. And, um, and just nice to see the queers doing well. Um, so that's an album like in the last, last 10 years. I, it's tough. I would like, I, it's like I'm blanking because all I can think of is Baby Shark. It's so embarrassing. That's the anthem of 2019. <laughs> I think so. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask? I have so many things I want yeah, to ask, me too. but we're out of time, Luca. I got tons of questions still, but thanks so much for spending time we'll with us. We'll ask them at the Christmas party. There. That's Boom. right. <laughs> we'll move this conversation off, Mike. Oh. I love it. Let's crush some roasted vegetables and pizza. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you for doing this, Krista. Thank you. My pleasure. And this printout of my mom in the 60s, I'm going to cherish forever. Thank you so much for that. So that was our chat with the legendary Krista Couture. Of course, you can always hear her weekdays from Monday up or from Monday (laughs) to Friday. From, I'm uh, Luca Capone, and I'm breaking <laughs> down how the calendar works. Here, Monday <laughs> is the second day of the start of the week. Monday to Friday, noon 12 to 3. Noon to 3, yeah. So we'd like to thank Krista for joining us in the barber shop. And just remember that she has a new book coming out called How to Lose Everything and an album called Safe Harbor coming out in 2020. So this is it for the barber shop season one. We want to wish you a happy holidays, a safe holidays, and wishing you the best in 2020 where we will be back. Luca Capone. Andrew St. Germain and Bruce Barber. We'll see you in 2020 in the barbershop. Thanks for hanging out in the barbershop. You can find more info on elmntfm.ca and on Twitter and Instagram at 1065 elmntfm.